Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. have your Bibles open with me to the book of Acts this morning. And it's so good to be here. I love Pastor Jeff Dale. Amen. You guys should give it up for him. And he's awesome. I met them, I met him and Kevin first at a M initiative meeting, I think, in South Carolina. And I just hit it off with those guys right from the get-go. So y'all are blessed here. Amen. Love Brother Doug Bartlett, too. He's a dear friend. And uh, I know he was here for I don't know how many years, but 17 years. Wow. So I am, uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm from Virginia originally, from the mountains of Virginia. But I pastor in Elizabeth City, and I've been there for 13 years this year. And it's been a blessing. You know, I came there from a church plant in Washington, D.C. that I closed the doors on. And so I walked through some, some interesting days in uh, 2000, uh, 2008, 2009, and then moved to Elizabeth City. And I said, well, Lord, I'll just give it to you, and uh, I'll be here a year, two max. And I've been there 13. But God just started opening up stuff. The heavens opened up. We saw so many people get saved. And uh, like this church, I see you guys have just exploded, and it's just uh, you know, when you get in that flow of what God's doing, I mean, it's just, that's, there's no better place to be. Amen? Thank God for a great church reaching the community. Get in here. I know y'all are, but I'm just going to encourage you. I just came to encourage you today. Get in, dig in, get behind the pastors, see this place one for Jesus. We're not going to be, we're not going to be satisfied to everybody's saved. We're not going to be satisfied to everybody's, everybody we can reach is reached. Amen? So open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to talk about storms this morning, and um, I, I recently went through the whole series of chapters where Paul was in a shipwreck, in a storm, shipwrecked, and how God used that in his life to take him to Rome, and uh, I don't know, I just worked through this recently, and I found some interesting things. So I'm going to talk about prerequisites for the storm. All of us face storms. Your church is facing one right now you didn't anticipate of this young child passing away yesterday. And so we all face storms of one form or other, but uh, the difference maker is your character in the middle of the storm, and are you ready for the storm? You know, we've all been through COVID, and we've seen an unprecedented time like none of us have ever witnessed before. I don't, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone's seen anything like this. And in church, it's been super interesting. I've traveled the nation and uh, just found churches uh, at about 60%, maybe 40% of what they used to be. I saw a statistic the other day. I don't know if it's right or not, but somebody said 73% of church members in America have not returned. So uh, the way I look at it is uh, God's almost given me a new church. (laughs) There have been so many new people coming and getting saved who have been hungry for the Lord. And uh, I don't know where everyone else is, but God bless them. We're going to keep on having church, and God is doing a new thing. Amen? 
So I just encourage you guys. We've all been through the storm. And one thing I think, we've come out of this storm, and the church is different. I think the church is uh, more rooted. I think the church is more on fire than we've ever been before. Can you shout amen? Amen. So let's talk about three prerequisites for the storm. Begin in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly house from house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Can we say amen? There's something that really impressed me here. And that is Paul was determined. He said, I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then every town he went through on his journey to Jerusalem, in every town, people were telling him, don't do it. He said, the Holy Spirit warns me in every city in which I go of things that will happen to me. Then he finally comes down to, uh, to the mainland coast on his way to Jerusalem, and a prophet encounters him named Agabus. And the prophet gives him like this prophetic demonstration of what's going to happen if he goes to Jerusalem. You're going to be bound. But he goes anyway. After everyone warning him, City after city after city, prophetically, what's going to happen to him, he still goes anyhow. And it really stumped me. And uh, I I spent some time trying to figure this out. I've I've read it through the years, but it just came to me fresh, and I thought, why in the world? Is he disobeying the prophetic word? Why is he not not staying home? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm on my way to Raleigh, and in every, I have to stop in every little town on the way, and prophets encounter me in every town saying, bad things are awaiting for you, I would <clears throat> get on 64 East, and I would go straight back to Elizabeth City. But Paul wasn't like that. He was like a Clint Eastwood in the Holy Ghost. He was like a man, just make my day. Just... I, so so here, here's my little interpretation of this. I don't think he disobeyed the prophetic word because I don't think the Lord ever said, thou shalt not go. But the Lord was saying, this is what's going to happen when you do go. So I don't believe he disobeyed the prophetic word. But I also believe he was so determined in his spirit that God was going to open up a way for him to get to Rome. Because that was in his heart, and in Rome, he was going to testify before Caesar. I think he had it in his mind, he had it in his heart, and no one was going to stop him. He had the grit, the character, the determination to face anything that life was going to throw at him. In fact, he was so determined, I think he had already died to the old man Paul. And he was alive to Christ. And if you've died to the old man, you're dangerous to the enemy's kingdom. Yes. 
because you're fearless in the Lord. So what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem, and guess what? He's arrested. They, they have a beat down, and they, this crowd surrounds him and starts beating Paul down. And uh, the, the, the captain of the Roman garrison there comes and rescues Paul and gets him out of that. And then he says, hey, dude, let me, let me, just, let me just speak to him one more time. And he talks the, the, the commander into letting him go out on a stairwell and speak to the crowd. And then they got mad again. Then he has to take him by night under guard, guards and horsemen and take him up to Caesarea. And then at Caesarea, he meets before Felix and Festus and Herod Agrippa. And there during those uh, trials, basically, he testifies of all the things God has done for him. And in this, you see some prerequisites in his life that's going to take him through the storm he's getting ready to face. So let's just run through them right quick, okay? Number one, in Acts chapter 22, he, let's read verse 1, Acts chapter 22. He says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. Here he's addressing this Jewish mob in Jerusalem. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in the city of Cilicia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus. Now it happened, verse 6, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? First thing he did not forget and he never let go of was his own story of transformation. He always remembered his testimony. And if you're going to face the storms of life, you're going to have to have a testimony, a story of your own transformation that you don't need to forget. Matter of fact, you need to rehearse it over and over and over. You need to know how to tell your testimony in about three minutes. You need to know how to tell it at the 7-Eleven, at the gas station, at the Mount Olive pickle plant. I'm fixated on that right now. And you need to know how to tell your story to your family. You need to know how to tell your story everywhere you go because it's what God did in you and it's taken you on to the other side. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. And so when you get in a storm, when you get in the midst of a storm, you're going to be able to remember what God did for you. And if you remember what he did for you, that storm will not take you out. But if you're not secure in what God did for you, anything can shake you. Amen? So I wasn't born and raised in church. I, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. And uh, I'd been to church two times in my life by the time I was 16 years old. One was with my grandparents on the Hess side. The other was with my grandparents on my mom's side. And uh, my, the Hesses were Baptists and my mom's people were Pentecostals. So they both took me to church. I can remember one Sunday each in my life. And so I was doing my own thing. I played in rock and roll bands in high school, going my own way. And then I got very sick at 16, was put in a hospital for about a week in my hometown. And while I was in the hospital, a voice spoke to me one night. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just something within my heart. And a voice spoke to me, and this sounds weird, but I'm just going to give it to you as the voice gave it to me. Hans, you don't have to party anymore. 
because I was getting involved in drinking and experimenting with drugs and all this stuff. And the voice came and said, Hans, you don't have to party anymore. And when that voice spoke to me, it was like the lights came on in a dark room. It was like I I tasted freedom for the first time. Then I went home, and uh, a few days or weeks later, I was walking through the house, and this was back uh, in the days when uh, Ronald Reagan was president, I think. I think. It it was after the Civil War, I do know that, but... uh, (laughs) It, it was when we were having this showdown with Libya and Muammar Gaddafi, and we shot down like two of their jets, if you all remember that. And I thought about this, and I'd remembered something I had seen on like a, a documentary about a man named Nostradamus, a prophet, who had talked about a man with a blue turban who would be like a leader in the end times. So I thought, could this, could Gaddafi could, could be this end time leader? And so I was walking through the hallway of my house, and this voice spoke to me again. And here's how's this for seeker-sensitive church. The voice said, the world's coming to an end, and you better get in church. The world is coming to an end, and you better get in church. So uh, I had a friend at the time who knew me very well. I called her up, and I said, hey, uh, your mom and dad go to church, right? She's like, yeah. I said, could they take me to church? She said, Hans, they would love to take you to church. They were Church of God people, so they took me to a little Church of God at my hometown, and I felt like I'd landed from Mars. I was in this church, and people were kneeling and praying and raising their hands like Kevin and these guys did today, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And then I had a cousin who we always thought was strange, but he was a pastor. And he pastored an independent holiness church. Now, I'm from the mountains, so up a holler on the side of a creek bank with two outhouses out back for the bathrooms. And I walked in this church on a Friday night because they had Friday night service. And it was like one man described Appalachian Pentecostalism like this. He said, it's acid rock meets Salvation Army Band. And I walked in that church, and it was like Acid Rock met the Salvation Army Band. They were playing and shouting, speaking in tongues. And I, was, I had seen Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC, Iron Maiden, but I'd never been in anything that scared me like that meeting. <laughs> and you know what happened to me? I got saved. Hallelujah. Got saved. Got radically saved. I got radically saved. Everything changed. Everything changed. Desires changed. My attitude changed. My friends changed. My destiny changed. Everything. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I became one of those wild people I was freaking out over the first night I came to church. I became one of those people. And it was absolutely amazing what God did in my life. And it changed everything. I don't believe you just come and add Jesus on like an appendage or like like a special feature to your car. No, he comes and takes over. He comes and takes over. He doesn't come just to be a life coach. He comes to take over your life. And that testimony, I'm telling it today all these years later because that testimony has kept me going through many years and many battles and many storms I've walked through. Because I can, if nothing else, 
If I have nothing else to praise him for, which I have a lot, but if I have nothing else, I can think back to that night when God could not have come to me, he could not have spoken to me, but out of his grace and out of his mercy, he chose to come down and knock on this boy's heart and draw me into his goodness. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a praise here this morning. Hallelujah. So don't forget your testimony. Don't forget the transformation. Everywhere Paul went, at some point it came out. At some point it came out. I was on the road to Damascus. I was persecuting Christians. I was the worst of, worst of the bunch. And here, lo and behold, a great light appeared, knocked me down. I was blinded by the light. And it was the resurrected, post-resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus himself talking to me. He told it before synagogues. He told it before kings. And I believe, though we don't have it in the Bible, I believe he told it before Caesar. Because that was his heart's desire. Hallelujah. How many can raise your hand and say, thank God for my transformation? They said that Oral Roberts had 12 messages that he preached throughout his life and a testimony. And he told them and he, and he shook the world. So if you have a testimony, you can shake your world. Amen. Second thing I see is a prerequisite in Paul. He says here in Acts chapter 22, verse 21, he said, Jesus said to me, when he appeared to me, depart for I will send you from here to the Gentiles. And think of what he went through to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He knew that not only was he transformed, but he knew there was a calling on his life. There was a calling on his life. And when a calling is on your life, it shifts everything. It shifts everything. All the things that maybe you dreamed of doing before, you know, God, when he calls you, he calls you into his thing, and then he puts those desires in your heart. And that calling shifts everything. And the calling will bring you through storms. Calling will bring you through storms. I knew God had called me to preach at the age of 20, and I started preaching as a university student. And I'm praying for y'all. I went to University of Kentucky, so. Jesus. Bless his holy. He's, he's, you got the Carolina tie and everything on today, man, I'm telling you. Uh, so, so my guys at my church, you know, a few years ago, Chapel Hill beat Kentucky in a game, and I stood up to take the offering, and they put in Carolina blue on the screen the score behind me. But so. Anyhow, how did I get there? Remember your calling. So God called me, and I knew I was called to preach when I was a student at University of Kentucky. And then I started preaching, and then stuff had to start coming off of my life. And, and eventually, I just said, I'm yours, Lord. I'm going to do it. I'll just do it. I'll just give you everything. I'll just give you everything. I'll just do it full-blown and and. It is what it is. And so I, I invested my whole life in it and just preaching and pursuing the call. And I could have done some other things in life. Sometimes thought, why didn't you do some other things in life? But I just kept pursuing the calling that was on my life. And then, you know, uh, years ago, I had a prophet come to me. And this prophet spoke some very powerful words over me in Chesapeake, Virginia. And he said, you're going to pastor a great church. I see the church, and here's what it's like. And he describes it. And I thought, oh, praise the Lord. That's right here in Chesapeake. Praise God. Then I ended up leaving Chesapeake. I moved to Washington, D.C. 
and I planted a church, and I still had that prophetic word on a cassette tape. Do you all remember what cassette tapes were? <laughs> it, it, anyhow, it was, a, it was an invention that you could play audio recordings, but nonetheless. So I, I had this cassette tape, and I would pull it out every now and then and play it and remind myself of that great church I was going to pastor. And I thought, it's right here. It's right here in D.C., and then we spent five years there, we spent six years there, we spent eight years there, we spent nine years there, pounding like on a granite stone, trying to get something to happen. And we did have some things happen, but then at the end, I saw it falling apart, and we had different, I don't know, different circumstances happen, and I knew I had to close the church and shut down a church that I'd planted that had been a vision of mine for 10 years. And then I thought, but what about that great church? What about that word? Then I thought, then, then these thoughts came, Hans, you're just a loser. You're not called to this, man. This is what the enemy brings. You're not called to this. You should go teach. You should go work a regular job. And nothing wrong with that because God's got callings for everybody. But I, I knew what he had spoken to me, and I wrestled with that, and I wrestled with it, and I wrestled with it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do this, or maybe I'll just do that. And finally, I was at home one day, and we didn't know anything, but let's just pack up and leave. And my house is filled with boxes, and we're getting ready to leave, and we didn't know where we were going or how we would get there. Because not only was I broke, I was so broke, I couldn't stay or go. I don't know if you've ever been that broke, but it's no fun <laughs> when you're so broke you can't leave and you can't stay. And I received a phone call. And it was from Bill, a guy named Bill Mayo. Many of you may know the Mayo family. It's Alan Mayo's dad. He was pastoring the church in Elizabeth City. He knew me. We worked on a conference board for many years together. I'd preach revivals for him. And he said, Hans, I'm facing cancer, and uh, I'm going to turn the church over. But every time I pray, I see you before my face. And I said, no way, Lord. Elizabeth City, no way. And then this thing kept working on, in me and kept working on me. And I said, well, I'm, I don't even know that I'm gifted to pastor. I don't even know that. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go give it a shot because I know I'm called. And I went down, and we saw, we saw within the first three to five years, 5,000 people give their hearts to Jesus. 5,000 people got saved. And so even though the enemy was speaking, I held on to the calling that I knew was on my life. And when you're called, and it may not be to ministry, you might be called to teach. You might be called as a business person. You might be called as a musician. Whatever it is, if you know God has called you to that, it will carry you through the times when it doesn't seem like that thing is working in your life. You just have to hang on to it and press on. And God's, God, Paul knew, if you go on and read when he gets in the midst of the storm, he knew God assured him, you're going to make it through this thing because I've ordained you to go to Rome and you will stand before Caesar and you will testify to me. That carried him through the whole shebang. Come on, can somebody shout hallelujah? There's one other prerequisite I see here working. And that is Paul keeps mentioning in Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 24, he says, you know the reason I'm here, the reason I'm in trouble, the reason I was arrested is because I believe in the resurrection and the future. 
It's because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and in the resurrection of the saints at the end of time. And I wondered, why is, why is this an issue with Paul? He brings it up over and over and over. I know there's a resurrection. That's why I'm in trouble. I know what the Hebrew Scriptures say. That's why I'm facing judgment. I know that there's a great hope in the future. That's keeping me going. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. I think the final prerequisite is you have to know and you have to be determined that you're going to make it to the future and that God has a blessing for you, that God has a great end for you. But David said, I would have lost all hope had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what the land of the living is? It's not the land of the dead. Land of the dead is the cemetery. Land of the living is right here in this room. It's in the here and now. David said, I would have lost hope had I not believed that I would see the goodness of my God in the land of the living. Hallelujah. That we believe that God has come to bless us. We believe that God has come to favor us. And we believe that there's a good in our future. And no matter what trial you're going through now, God's going to bring you out. And he's going to bless you through everything you've been through come on put your hands together and give him a praise hallelujah because satan comes to to suck the hope out of the future for you he comes to make you believe there's no hope for tomorrow you're not going to be blessed next year no one's going to honor you there's no help for you you're always going to be broke you're always going to be depressed And this is, you just have to say, talk to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Come on, just talk to the hand, Satan. I know I'm going to be blessed. Hallelujah. And I know, I know, and guess what? God's going to bless me in this life. And then after a while, when I do go on, if he doesn't come first, guess what? We get heaven on top of it all. We get heaven on top of it all. And the only way I can process some of the things I've been through in the past two years is to know that there's a resurrection in the end and there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. There's a great celebration over there. And all of this is going to be over one day and we're going to shout on the streets of glory after a while giving God all the praise. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I don't know about y'all, but we've lost people through COVID. And, you know, I lost my wife two years ago to a a cancer battle. And I I, I didn't know if I was going to lose my mind at the time. And when we went to actually bury her, I I hadn't been back to the cemetery, you know, because it's in my hometown. And the next time I got a chance to go, I went to the cemetery. And I never felt like this in my life. But I felt like if I could remove the dirt right now and dig her out, I would. And I had to leave. It was dark, and the cemetery was closed. I jumped the gate to get in. And uh, then I got back in my truck, and I sat there, and, and I didn't know if I was going to lose my mind, but I said, God, here's all I know is that there's a great resurrection day coming after a while. And the saints that we laid to rest, are on, they're not really there. They've already gone on and received their reward. And God, you're making all things beautiful in your time. And you've got a plan for me. And I'm not going to stop fighting. I'm not going to stop believing. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm not going to stop traveling. I'm going to do all I can because I know you have good in my future. Come on, give the Lord a praise in here.
Come on, give him a shout. Hallelujah. Come on, turn around and tell somebody, God's got good in store for you. You know, I think about Job and all the, all the storms that Job went through. And he comes down to one point, and he just starts unloading these complaints on God. He just unloads these complaints. And I'm going to read it to you. We're going to pray here in a second, but I, I want to read you this. Job chapter 19 He starts unloading all these complaints and he like puts God in the judgment seat. Job chapter 19, verse 23. And he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead. Before this, have pity on me. Verse 6, I know God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I'm not heard. If I cry aloud, there's no justice. He's fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set, my, has set darkness in my path. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me, and he counts me as one of his enemies. I mean, aunt pounding. I wish someone would hear me. And then out of this litany of wrongs that he feels like God has done to him, he stops dead in his tracks in verse 23, and he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand on the earth in the last day. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. In other words, he believed in a resurrection and he believed in a future hope and a future blessing. And he's realizing, God, if you continually break me down and everything is gone, I still have hope that in the end I'm going to see you face to face. And this bone, these bones and this body is going to resurrect. Come on, can somebody give him a praise? Hallelujah. So I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's a family problem. Maybe you lost someone to COVID. Maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety. All I know is God's here to set you free, and God's here to inject hope into your life. There's a better tomorrow. You're coming out of this thing. There's a, there's a hope. There's a future. There's an expected end to your life. God is going to resurrect that work that he's called you to do. Maybe you lost the faith and the calling that he's placed on your life. I came down from Elizabeth City this morning to tell you to get over it and get back up and get back on the path of doing what God's called you to do. Now is the time. Today is the day. Now is the hour. We need to hear you now. We need your gifts now. The world needs to hear from you now. Hallelujah. Get out of the pity party and get back to doing what God's called you to do. Come on, give him a shout. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a shout, hallelujah. You can make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it through the storm. Come on, shout it out with me. I, 
I'm going to make it. Look at your neighbor and shout at them. You, you're going to make it. Come on, shout at somebody else next to you. You're going to make it. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Paul went into this thing knowing that everything that he stood for, he's holding on to, knowing that all the peripheral stuff can die. He doesn't care. He's died to the world anyhow. He's died to who Paul is, and now he's just living for Christ, and he's going to make it. If you go on and read the story, he's the man who stands up in the midst of the, of the storm on the boat, encourages everyone, gives them a word from the Lord, and sees them to safety all the way to the shore. At the beginning, the centurion wouldn't even listen to Paul. At the end, he's doing everything he can to rescue Paul's life. Not only that, God takes him to an island of Malta. There he preaches the gospel, performs miracles, has a mass healing crusade, and everyone gets healed. And here's the deal. I don't understand storms totally. I don't understand why we walk through some things in life. But I do know this. If he had never gone through a storm, he would have never preached the gospel in Malta. Some of you are wondering why you've been through storms. Don't worry about it. Just get the victory and walk through it. Maybe you wouldn't have been where you are had you not gone through the storm you walked through. Maybe there's some people that who were blessed by your testimony who wouldn't have received that testimony or that blessing had you not walked the path you walked. Sometimes it's not even your fault. It wasn't even Paul's fault. He told the guys not to sail and they sailed anyhow. So I'm just telling you what, let's just suck it up this morning. Give God glory. He has a great future for us and let's move on. Come on, can somebody shout hallelujah? Come on, let's all stand in this church this morning. Come on, just lift your hands and give God praise right now. Hallelujah. Come on, just lift your hands and give him praise. Thank God for what he's done in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, just go ahead and cry aloud. Just go ahead and raise your voice for a few moments here. Father, I pray right now for everyone walking through a storm. I pray for those, God, who feel like the walls are caving in on them. God, I pray right now that hope is injected. Faith comes right now. And, God, they see the way out of this thing. That, God, their spirits are lifted up right now in Jesus' name. And, God, I just thank you, Lord, for ministering to them. I thank you for pouring out the power of your spirit on their lives right now. I thank you for doing wonders in their hearts right now, God. Thank you, Lord. We silence the voice of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. And we just declare. God, you are the one we're going to listen to. You're the one we're going to follow, God. It's your voice we're listening to. It's your path we're following. We give you praise right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We worship you right now. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, just lift your hands and worship him right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we magnify you in this place this morning. God, we magnify you right now in Jesus' name. We magnify you right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. Hallelujah. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. How many would be honest to lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm walking through a storm this morning. Come on, I'm walking. Let me see your hands. I'm walking through storms right now. 
and I need God to come and touch me and speak a word of encouragement. Come on, lift your hands if that's you. I see it. I see hands all over the place. Come on, if you're, I'm going to do two things. Number one, if you're walking through a storm this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Number two, if you're in this house this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to pray for you. Yes. And if you're in here and, and, and you've been hearing the word here and you've heard the worship and God is speaking to you and God is calling you, I want to pray for you this morning. Yes, God. So with the few minutes we have left, I'm just going to open up the altar and ask some of you guys to come forward and let's pray. Me and the pastor and, and whoever he has designated, we're going to pray for you this morning. If you're going through a storm, if you want to accept the Lord, Come on, I'm just going to open up this altar and ask you to come out of where you're sitting or standing and come on down to the altar. We're going to pray for you.